0: go om namo bhagavate Vasudevaya hari bol so tonight the um Is titled Sadhana Practice Makes Perfect. A friend of mine in the UK sent me a um, just a couple of days ago sent me a link. To an article that was in the um, UK Daily Mail, and it was quite, mm, quite disturbing. So I thought I would read a little bit from it, and then you'll understand where we're going with things in a a little while. So the headline of the article was, an obsession with social media took Leanne Muskell to the brink of suicide and, says the model and activist, it's now destroying the mental health of an entire generation." Kind of quite big claims and quite disturbing claims. So I'll just read a, a few paragraphs from the from the article. Leanne Muskell was 24 and living in Australia when she began to plan her suicide. No one knew or could have guessed because she seemed to have everything. Leanne, 5 foot 11, a beguiling Pale blue eyed blonde had worked as a model for more than a decade, appearing in Vogue and ID. You know, ID? Say magazine in the UK put out by Vice, and it's all fashion and young people and everything. She worked as a model for more than a decade, appearing in Vogue and ID having started at 13 years old. She had graduated with a law degree in England, in London, and then taken off to Bondi Beach. Her Instagram page showed her modeling bikinis for big brands, partying on super yachts, and traveling on private jets. My life looked perfect, she says. I had amazing opportunities, money, beauty, although I didn't feel beautiful. But I was w- waking in the middle of the night crying, thinking, why am I still alive? She says, I thought I must have some serious mental health disorder. And I remember googling them, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, and thinking, I've got all of them. After finding the perfect suicide spot, for weeks Leanne obsessively viewed its location on her phone, and setting a date to do it on a Sunday. She decided to enjoy her last week alive. I had one week left to live, so I should be able to eat what I wanted. It didn't matter if I got fat. So I just make a point here further in the article. She talks about all the pressures on young women to have a certain bodily identity, to appear a certain way, and your value, your worthiness, acceptance is all tied to that image. And so she would, you know, she was constantly harassed by her agents and the people hiring her to lose weight, so she hardly ever ate just to have that look. And then her phone was loaded with all kinds of filters so that every time she took a selfie it was heavily altered. She even did her own photoshopping just to look unrealistically slim and and beautiful. So that was the, you know, what was going on behind the scenes. So she thought, I should be able to eat what I wanted since I was going to kill myself, and it didn't matter if I got fat. I began each day with a chocolate almond croissant. I'd never been allowed. I had never, uh, I'd never have allowed myself that before. She says, "I stopped using my phone so much and doing things to create content. I mean, it you know, it's categorized as content, but it's just." trivial, shallow nonsense that brings no good to anybody, and it's called content. I remember going for a three-hour walk without a phone and just felt completely different afterwards. I mean, you know, that's actually shocking For me, being an old dude, that somebody could be utterly relieved just to not, not to have their phone for three hours. It changed them. That's because they spend so much time on it. I had a photo shoot too, and it was incredible. For once, I wasn't overthinking it or worrying about whether I was good enough. I just really enjoyed it. By the end of that week, I was thinking, what the hell am I doing? It doesn't make sense to kill myself. It was the start of a long recovery. And so, you know, she went on to to give up all those things that she was doing. She started an organization and has been really working and advocating for the health, mental health and well-being of young women and girls. So, you know, you can see just from her own statements that she was Seeking to achieve something. And that thing that she was seeking to achieve was beauty and fame. And of course, to be honored by others. To appear desirable. Either sexually desirable or to be people would want to be your friend just because they think you're full and complete and you're so cool and you're flying around the world and you've got so much going on. if I can attach myself to you somehow perhaps my life will become more perfect you know that's the the idea So there are very clear, ideas of of a goal that people set for themselves. Of course, the higher goal than those things, you know, the fame and beauty and everything, is the idea of coming to a situation where I am actually happy, where I am actually fulfilled. That's what people are, are chasing. That's what they're aspiring for. But of course, you know, what she's doing is utterly fake. In front of everybody else, she's posing as having this amazing life, and everybody is envying her. But yet she herself is waking up crying at night and wishing she was dead, that everything that she has to do to have that thing that everybody else thinks, wow, is so desirable, is killing her. I mean, it's sort of like, whoa, this is so... we've become, as a society, incredibly shallow, where we cannot even honestly admit to ourselves what is the situation. You know, this, this this is disastrous, where people, it's kind of like, you know, the kid's story of the emperor who had no clothes. You know, he was being told by his tailor who was running out of things to do that he was dressed in the most beautiful garments and everybody around him in the court was saying oh yeah it's beautiful and he'd ask what do you think of what I'm wearing And, oh it's amazing (laughs) but actually the guy was naked and when he goes out in the public one day everybody's kind of like adoring him and going along with the illusion until finally a kid goes, the king's got no clothes. <laughs> it took an innocent child to speak up and then the whole thing fell apart. You know, that's no different from what's going on here. But the, the you know, I mean, she knows that the image that she's posting is not real. She's been heavily editing it on Photoshop or using all these filters and everything to make it look unrealistically beautiful. But she knows that's fake. And so you have this insecurity even when you're posting all this stuff and then she's watching how many likes she gets for every photo that gets posted. And if the number of likes goes down, she's just totally in anxiety and thinking, planning, what do I have to do next? You know, I got to post something else later today or tomorrow that will, you know, have the likes that I was always getting before. And you just live in this really superficial and shallow world that you know is fake, and everybody else is thinking, oh, it's all all wonderful. So in, in Sanskrit, there are two words that c- cover the subject. One is sadhya. Sadhya Means a goal, something that people are aiming for. And sadhana is the process, what you are doing to attain that goal. So it's kind of like, okay, well, what's that got to do with what I've been reading and that story? Well, this process, this These these terms, the situation, applies to everyone. All of you, all of us, everyone, we, we are setting goals. And we're figuring out, what do I need to do to attain this goal? And so in everybody's life, you're already engaged in some form of sadhana. The word sadhana actually, as with all Sanskrit words pretty much, has multiple meanings, depending upon how it's used, but they pretty much capture the essence of what we're talking about. In the dictionary, the words That they used to explain sadhana is leading straight to a goal. Sadhana is that which leads straight to a goal. It also means furthering, you know, advancing an ideal or a philosophy or something that you're doing in life. It also means Um, The act of mastering something, this is sadhana, and bringing about a completion, you know, reaching that end state that you're after, to um, preparing something or making it ready. All of these are, are different meanings. But our spiritual teachers generally use the word sadhana to mean the means by which we can achieve the goal of life. So that's the heavy part tacked on the end, the goal of life. This girl had a goal. You know, she'd been in la-la land since she was 13, when she was spotted and recruited for some fashion shoot at 13 years of age. And then since that time she was heavily groomed to perform this role of a beautiful, glamorous model. And there was heavy payout. I mean, all this money, all this fame and adulation tripping around the world, doing all these things that common people can't do. But the thing was, at what cost? Was that payout worth the price? The word sadhana, actually, in the deepest sense, speaks to the process of cultivating a spiritual life, and it speaks to the importance of having a regular or regulated practice The first thing though is really and clearly what's clearly needed is what is my goal in life? What is my goal? What is that which is most important for me. And for me to judge that, I could ask you, what makes you cry? What makes you cry? What makes you fearful? What makes you really upset? You will find that those things are very much connected to You know, what you find most important in life. So what is that goal? The goal of spiritual life was the realization of my actual spiritual identity and when we take that when we take that one all the way to the end it's not just about the recognition of my spiritual being but the fact that i have an limitless an eternal longing to reconnect with my soulmate that he eternal spiritual personality, to whom I am bound by an eternal bond of kinship we've spoken about, you know, many, many times before. So if we want to, you know, everybody is serious about their sadhana if I want to look incredibly beautiful. I mean, the things people go through now are mind-boggling. The amount of money that's spent on, on cosmetic surgery is astonishing. The number of both men and women whose body is filled with plastic implants. It's, it's astonishing. I mean, people get them in their calf muscles. You've got all these pretty boys who want to look like they've got sculpted bodies and their abs are made of plastic. They're implants. And they're taking all of these things to thin the skin and, you know, they're on these diets so that they don't have much fat layer, you know, and their biceps are implants. I mean, thought we thought it was ridiculous with women doing it with their boobies and then their, the butt became the big focus. And some of these people spend like, you know, over 10 years or so on all this body modification. They have a very clear idea about the goal and they are very focused in their sadhana, the process that will bring them to their goal. It's not very often that people can think so clearly about what it is that I actually need to become happy. The need for happiness is huge. It's such a big deal. It's it's such a big focus. It's driving everybody. But when we are lost in this illusion of the body as being the self, then our thoughts and our plans for what will bring us happiness, of course, is is all temporary and, and illusory. So, when the yogi understood what was their sadhya, what was the goal that they were seeking, finding the right process was not so difficult. They always sought out somebody who was a master at their craft, the craft of spiritual cultivation. And approaching such a master with great humility, they begged from them, please share with me what it is that I need to do in order to attain this goal. The practice, this sadhana, clearly does two things. One is it actually begins to move a person forward towards that goal. And in the process of doing that, one develops increased enthusiasm. And that increased enthusiasm comes from experiencing the practical result of applying yourself in this process. So I'm just going to read a few verses from the Um, Yoga Sutra. The reason I'm going to read these is because in this work the author, Patañjali, is setting forward what is the sadhana, what is the process to attain the highest goal according to the system that he was following this system is sometimes referred to as the mystic yoga process or the ashtanga yoga process and was very demanding but i'm only reading it out not to promote that we need to do all of these things in the way that they were done but just to establish what was the standard i mean we've entered this time where it's like oh my god everybody's got their own idea of what yoga means <laughs> uh, no I, I no i don't I've, I've got my own way of doing it okay, you know? It's kind of like a bit of an eye roll, and what can you do? I was down Mount Monganui last weekend, and I was talking to them about, you know, I was asked to speak on what is real meditation. So I used an example, you know, everybody knows what a diamond is, and there are standards, You know, it is something very specific and there are different tests that you can do to establish whether a substance is a diamond or not. And then there are set standards to grade how valuable it is based on its clarity, on its color and its cut. You know, these are the the three C's that establish and give worth to to a gem and when you see an actual gem you know when you see a diamond that's worth 15 or 18 or 20 million us dollars it's mind-boggling the guy i used to be a partner with he owned seven of the top 13 diamonds in the world so i got to see lots of really interesting things, and it's mind-blowing. But this idea that I can create my own standard for what is a diamond, and I'm going to take a piece of broken glass and set it in a ring and go, see, I've got a beautiful diamond. And it's just like, no, <laughs> you may feel think it's a diamond, but it's not. It's glass. It's silica. You know, it's not the type of carbon structure that makes up a diamond. You can't invent your own diamond just by your sheer willpower. That's unrealistic. It doesn't work that way. And so the standards that they set out were for actually achieving this end goal complete self-realization and God-realization. So speaking about this Patañjali in the second Pada or second chapter of the Yoga Sutra beginning from the 28th verse, he speaks about when a person has become increasingly purified. And I'll just, you know, give you some, or try to aid. When we talk about purity here, we're talking about a purity of consciousness, where you begin to actually see things with great clarity. Just like this girl, you know, she had adopted a certain lifestyle. She was in a certain state of consciousness that was killing her body and, and breaking her mind down. And then when she took that, you know, she decided to kill herself and said, okay, now she gave up worrying about what she's going to eat and went for a walk without the phone and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of like, oh, my God, it, it really changed things for her. It, it's a shift in consciousness. It's not a spiritual shift. It's just a shift away from craziness to more clarity. So the, these shifts in consciousness were referred to as you know, becoming increasingly purified. When impurities are destroyed by practicing the eight limbs of yoga, enlightenment dawns, culminating in full knowledge of the self or the atma. And now speaking about those eight limbs of yoga, and this is the sadhana, control of the senses, these are the yamas, observances of rules, the niyamas, bodily postures, or asana, regulation of the breath, pranayama, the withdrawal of the mind from sense objects, this is pratyahara, focusing the mind on a chosen object, dharana, bringing the mind into a singular focus, meditation, dhyana, and complete absorption in trance or samadhi. These are the eight limbs of yoga. And then explaining what were the yamas and niyamas. He goes on in the next verse, non-violence, and I would just like to say that ahimsa or non-violence is not just refraining from physically hurting someone. Even the way you dress can be violent. If you try to dress in a seductive and alluring way, male or female, trying to get people to place their minds and their love on you, you are hurting their real self-interest and plunging someone else into deep ignorance and this even this was considered a form of violence so non-violence is very broad and it can be and should be and is applied to lots of different things truthfulness satyam truthfulness which is kind of gone by the wayside these days people just your truth, my truth. (laughs) Whatever you want to believe becomes your truth. Not stealing, to illegally, even subtly, to try and take money from people or property, which is often what's going on in the guise of commerce. Then there is celibacy, to refrain from from sexual engagement. This is how focused these people were. You know, today it's like sexual activity has become God, and everybody is overly focused And it's just like it doesn't fulfill anyone. Anyway, we'll deal with that another time. And freedom from possessiveness, the claim of ownership of anything in this world, mine. You know, just like I use the example, you you buy a toy, a, a kid, you know, it goes on a rampage. And I want it. Please, mommy, can you give it to me? I want it. <laughs> Throwing a bit of a wobbly and wanting the, whatever it is, some toy. Then you give it to them and they're just like, oh, I'm so happy. And they're, Whatever, playing around with that. Good for maybe an hour or two or three. And then that's it. Maybe next day a little bit, playing with it and then not not touching it again and it's just sitting over there, forgotten about. And then one of the friends will come, or a cousin or someone, and they'll go to play with it. Then the kid's response, that's mine, that's mine. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's all important, even though it was utterly forgotten. You, You observe children, you know, they haven't learned how to hide things like older people do, how to become socially acceptable. But that tendency towards possessiveness is something very, very strong in all of us. So these make up the yamas. These laws are universal and must be practiced without consideration of time, Place, birth, or circumstances, and together they constitute the great vow of life. So, anybody that was serious about following this, this spiritual path that was laid out by Patanjali did this, and then the niyamas or the observances. They are internal and external purity, so they were, they were very careful about how they lived, what they came into contact with. You know, it, it's, it was pretty amazing. Next one is contentment. To learn how to become content. The acceptance of austerity. This was considered crucial. I mean, you have this situation where everybody's talking about resilience now, you know, and people not having resilience. And it's because they don't know how to accept austerity and difficulty. the recitation of sacred mantras, and the study of Vedic texts, and complete devotion and surrender to God, Ishwara Pranidana, it is called. These were the observances, the Niyamas, So along with their other practices, these first two things, which contain like really critical principles, this was what laid out what was called their sadhana. And it was embraced to achieve something of limitless value. So I'll just Now read a a little verse from the um, Brahma Samhita, and it states, The highest state of spiritual devotion or realization is attained by slow degrees, by the method of constant endeavor for self-realization, with the help, of scriptural evidence, theistic conduct, and perseverance in practice. You know, this verse is just like, wow, it contains so much information, that if you want to achieve the highest attainment, embrace the fact that it will be achieved by slow degrees. doesn't have to be, but for the majority of us it will be slow. It will be one foot in front of the other. And it is achieved in slow degrees by the constant endeavor for self-realization, constant, every day, it is part of your endeavor that you are embracing. And it is done with the help of what's referenced here as scriptural evidence. These are the teachers; the teachings contained in these spiritual um, guiding literatures. It will also be attained and requires theistic conduct. This is one of our spiritual masters from the early part of the last century who translated this way. His mastery of English was was extraordinary. He was such a scholar. But theistic or godly conduct was, was crucial. Your choice of how you interact with others, how you deal in relationships, how you deal with this world must be guided by high spiritual principle, and one needs perseverance in their practice. So now, looking at our situation and the time, place and circumstance in which we live, what is it, what are the essential components for sadhana, a process or practice that brings us to the highest attainment. The first and most essential or foundational practice is the immersion in that which is transcendental. and that means the frequent use of spiritual or transcendental sound. This is like foundational to one's practice. There are different types of immersions, and I am just going to quickly run through some things for, for people that may be somewhat new two things. The immersion in spiritual sound begins, for most people, with what we categorize as active listening. So I'm going to just reference in, in a little bit. You know, I've got a few guided meditations that people could use to assist themselves every day. And the first one of those that I would be recommending is the process of just relaxing and doing some simple breath work, and then just immersing your mind and your heart in spiritual sound as it has been chanted. You don't have to do anything. You just have to actively listen and it will have a really transformative effect. The second stage is when a person now actively participates. And so generally we teach people the process of using breath, and then on the outward breath using a mantra like we do with the Gauranga mantra, where one chants aloud. So this is kind of stepping one step further from just lying back and being immersed, actively listening, to now um, engaging in the process of chanting. In one of the guided meditations I I do, we also teach people how to engage in, in japa. Japa is a process of where you use these beads in, in your meditation, doesn't matter what the size is, a, a normal string of beads will have about 108 beads, traditionally. This one has half that number, 54. And so there is a string of beads, and on the top there is what's categorized as a head bead. And engaging the sense of touch, the soft murmuring of sound and the sense of hearing. Three of the senses have become engaged and to help bring the mind into a deeper focus on this spiritual sound. And then, of course, kirtan, where people come together on your own, or what's called sankirtan, together, where we collectively chant, you have a leader and other people respond. So it is through these activities that a person engages in what is the most essential and foundational practice in your sadhana, the immersion and spiritual sound. Another thing that is of great importance is to hear from spiritual authority. So the three great spiritual authorities were called um, Shastra, Guru, and Sadhu. Shastra were the spiritual texts that are considered to have descended from a spiritual platform which guide us in life. The word shastra, the first part of it, shas, it means, um, it actually means a command. A command, not in the sense of trying to get you to do something you don't want to do and your mom shouting at you, you have to do it. No! <laughs> no, it's kind of like you ask somebody, uh, excuse me, I'm looking for this particular place. Do I go down the road and I turn left? And they go, no, 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 you turn right. And it'll be about, you know, 50 meters down there. Thank you very much. And off I go. You know, you've heard an authoritative statement. And so these these texts were considered, you know, authority on on, um, what should guide us. A spiritual teacher or guru never deviates from Shastra. He doesn't wing it. He doesn't make it up as he goes, which has become very common in the world in the last few decades, where so many people will pose as a spiritual teacher, and either to some degree or even to a very large degree make stuff up as they go. The actual spiritual teachers never deviated from Shastra. And then the third word sadhu means the saintly persons who were exemplary in their life and their conduct and who also taught in this way. Then the next part of sadhana that's important, so we've got immersion in spiritual sound, hearing from spiritual authority to keep you on track and focused, and integrating your practice into your life. And I think one of the most wonderful verses that make that very apparent for everyone. So one of the, as I mentioned, this this verse from the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna is speaking to Arjuna and he states, whatever you do, whatever you eat, And whatever you offer or give away, and whatever austerity you perform, do that, O son of Kunti, as an offering to me. This is the ultimate expression of what it means to live a spiritual life where your entire life, your work, your relationships, everything becomes a spiritual offering. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. I think that's pretty straightforward. Then, in that previous verse that we read from the Brahma Samhita, the reference to theistic conduct, that is an essential part of sadhana. So just as a reminder, we had, you know, these are are essential parts of developing a, a, a practice, a personal practice that you begin to apply in your life. You have immersion in transcendental sound. You have hearing from spiritual authority this is known as sadhu sangha, the association with those who are saintly. We learn by hearing and by observing their conduct, learning to integrate your life into your spiritual practice. And now the cultivation of theistic conduct. There was one psychologist he was also a cynical, uh, clinical cynical, clinical, psychiatrist. And he said, even if somebody doesn't believe in the existence of God, one should act as if God exists. <laughs> that was a pretty extraordinary thing for him to say. I was quite, quite whoa taken aback, I'm not expecting that one. But that idea, that concept of living your life, you know, where you do feel that you are accountable. And you are accountable. You know, the, the laws of karma are inescapable. As you sow, so shall ye reap. I was actually thinking of doing a talk. You are what you tweet. (laughs) Like you are what you eat, right? Or as you tweet, so shall ye reap. Yeah, You you, you can't just say and do things and think it's not going to have any effect on you. And it's not going to lead you towards a certain goal or outcome. And so in spiritual practice, people made this commitment. It was gradual and it became stronger and more developed as time went by where they they made this decision. And theistic conduct, I think, can be importantly summarized as to practice gratitude. No matter how crappy you you think things are, there are always things that you should feel and express gratitude for. And it should be a big part of your life, and it doesn't mean all the time, but there should be every day some attempt to express gratitude. To practice patience and tolerance, both of those things together, are critical for your spiritual growth. To practice humility and to show kindness. So these things that I've gone over, you know, really constitute, and each person can develop their own practice and, and make that a focus of, of their life. The immersion in transcendental sound, hearing from spiritual authority, integrating your practice, your spiritual practice into your life, and the cultivation of theistic conduct. So, you know, I I really recommend for people that want to make a start in these things who don't have any grounding. I'm going to put a few links in the talk when I post it. Um, It won't show up on the live stream, but I will be posting in the normal places on Facebook, on my YouTube channel, and on my website. Um, A daily meditation, is essential to sadhana, to building a spiritual life. And I really recommend that it begins, before you start, to sit or lie in a comfortable position, let go, breathe a little bit, and then from your heart to offer gratitude. Gratitude for the fact that you are beginning or endeavouring on this path. Gratitude for what it is that we have been shown, you know, for spiritual truth and direction. And after doing that, then you can pop on one of the guided meditations. So the, the easiest one, the one involving active listening, I've, I've titled it as uh, meditation for well-being. It's a very simple guided meditation. If somebody wants to, um, you know, well, let me just correct that. I, I'll give you a link to a whole series of meditations and it's on Soundcloud, so it's just an audio thing that you can listen to. And the the first one, as I mentioned, is is a meditation for inner peace and well-being, and this is where you practice active listening. Then there's another one, the second one, it is involving the use of breath and the chanting of the Gauranga mantra. And then there is a guided meditation on how to practice japa using beads, japa meditation. But even if you don't have any of these beads, and I'll just say, I mean, in in the older times, sometimes they would even just take a cloth and tie knots in it and then tie the end together and they would use that you know, for, for japa. But the next meditation, it's, I've called it my meditation. And it involves, you know, a series of things, relaxation, some breathing, um, the use of, of a simple form of pranayama, nadi shodhana, which is, is the instruction is there, it's very simple. And then going into gauranga breathing, and then a goranga chant or singing, and then there is like 54 mantras, like a half a set of beads, doing a very simple mantra that you can follow, and it closes with a kirtan. So that's like a, about 20 minutes And if you learn to do this every day and then to take those main principles and begin to apply it in your life, practice will make perfect. You will attain spiritual perfection. You will come to recognize your own perfection as a spiritual being and the re-establishment of this connection with the ultimate spiritual truth, the Supreme Soul. With that, thank you very, very much. Took a little bit longer than I thought it would, but um, really important stuff. Yeah? Thank you very much. So we'll close out with um, a kirtan, I think I'll chant the Om, Hari Om mantra. Honey See you all next week.